You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. The most important thing that we could ever do as a church is acknowledge the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Anybody with me on that thought? That's the engine to this car. Like, you take the Holy Spirit out of it, it doesn't move, right? It's just us trying to steer this machine that is not made to be steered um, without the Holy Spirit. So I want us just to do a couple of things this morning. Number one, I want us to acknowledge that He is here, right? He is already here. We didn't, we didn't bring Him into this place. He was already dwelling here, waiting our arrival and waiting for us to acknowledge that He's here. Because I believe that one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is not just to convict and to counsel and to comfort But it's also to enlighten us as we study the Word. And if we want to get anything out of the Scriptures, if we want to learn and want to hear from Him, then we first got to acknowledge that He's in this place. You you following me so far? We have to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is here in this room. And, And when we say Holy Spirit, and a lot of people get really timid about it, they get really worried about it, they get really nervous about it. Can I tell you that people like to use the term weird? Can I tell you the Holy Spirit's not weird? It's normal. It's normal. And we've got to understand that. So I just want to tell you what my prayer has been for you as a church all week. That you would experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on your life. That it would be so evident that He is speaking to you, that He is at work around you, and that you will just take the steps of obedience and faith to join Him in wherever it is that He's working. That may scare you, and it may bring some some risk to it, but I'm praying that it happens because I believe that once we take step into that, then God's going to begin opening up a whole new world of understanding of who he is in the task that's at hand. All right. That has nothing to do with the sermon today other than the fact I want you to know how I'm praying and what what I know that God's going to answer that prayer. Ruth, it's been a long journey with her so far, hasn't it? From from week one, we we saw how Ruth and... um, and her, her, sister, her friend, sister-in-law, whatever she was, uh, Orpah, they lived in the country of Moab. You had Naomi and Elimelech who were married, living in Bethlehem, living in the land of the promise. And they, they leave at first fear of this, this famine that hits them. And they take off and they go to a place that God told them that they were never supposed to go. And that was the place of Moab. Moab is filled with... Satanic worship, it is filled with idols. There is nothing good that comes from Moab. There, it is spiritually dead. And Elimelech decides out of fear, he leaves the place of the promise that God said, I will provide, and they leave because of the famine, and they go to a dark, spiritual, desolate place of Moab. They get there. They're, they, they, they're going through normal life. They have two kids. their sons. Their sons get married. As they get married, Elimelech dies. So now Naomi becomes this widow. And then both of her sons die. So she loses all of her money. She loses anything that she had. Now she's broke. She's lonely. And the only two things that she has left to her name are her daughter-in-laws. And so after spending 10 years in Moab, she finally decides, I've got to go back home i got to leave this place of darkness and get back to the place that God has, has placed me, and that's in Bethlehem. So she begins the journey back home, 
And on the way, she turns to look at her daughters-in-laws, and she says, listen, there's nothing for you in Bethlehem. You're not going to find a husband. You're not going to find a life. You just need to go back where you came from because you don't need to carry the shame and the embarrassment that I'm about to walk into when I return to my community. Orpah saw that as an opportunity. She said, I'll see you later. It was nice knowing you. She goes back to Moab. We never hear from her again. Ruth says, I'm going to go wherever you go. I'm with you. We're family. And I, and I believe that God has connected us with this relationship, and I don't think that he's done with us yet. So I'm willing to walk into whatever you're going to walk into and carry whatever shame and embarrassment that you need. I'm going to be there for you. And so Ruth makes this journey back with Naomi. They get to Bethlehem, and what they think that they're going to experience with shame, they actually experience a community that wraps around them, is glad to see them, and she just opens up and is transparent because she leaves with everything, and she comes home with nothing except for a Moabite Satan worshiper named Ruth. They're poor, so when we get to chapter 2, we see that Ruth starts working the fields because in, the, in that day, you could follow behind the carts that were harvesting, and as the grain would fall off the carts, you could pick it up, and whatever was falling off the cart was yours to keep. Well, as she's doing this, she catches the eye of the owner of the field named Boaz, and out of all the fields of Bethlehem, she ends up in this particular field. We know that was God working behind the scenes, God in our steps. And Boaz sees Ruth, and he invites her in for a, a nice luncheon, and he gets to know her a little bit. And then when she leaves, he tells his workers, do not bring embarrassment to this lady. Provide for her. Matter of fact, every once in a while, accidentally kick some extra grain off the cart so she can have it. She caught his eye. And she goes home and she tells Naomi all about what her experience was. And then Naomi says, he's a part of the family. He and Elimelech were family members. And um, he could potentially be one of the redeemers. We talked about the redeemer last week. And so this relationship carries on, and Naomi finally says, you need to go and ask, in Ruth chapter 3, you need to go ask and, and experience this guy. And see, maybe, maybe this is the guy you need to marry because he seems to be making some moves on you. He's, he's taking care of you. He's providing. He, he's, he's keeping uh, you from, he's, he's helping your dignity stay intact. He's not embarrassing you. He's making sure everything's provided. So she goes, and it's a really weird story, but he's asleep, and she lays at his feet. And then they have this conversation about, will, will you be the Redeemer? She asks him, will you be the Redeemer? And then, and then Boaz says, listen, I would love to, but there are very strict rules to this thing, that I just can't redeem you because you want me to redeem you. There's someone in line in front of me that has to be your Redeemer. And that's where we pick up the story, because when we left off last week, Boaz was going to go have a conversation with the person that could redeem her, restore her family, give her back her life, and give her a son. So let's look at Ruth chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And we're going to look at the first six verses here. But he says, Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So this is the guy who can take care of this and fix this whole situation. He's, he's legally the one that can, can be her redeemer. So Boaz said, won't you turn aside, my friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, now sit down here. In case you didn't understand, they were very specific of where he wanted to sit. And he's probably intimidated because Boaz comes in to have this conversation, but he also brings 10 men with him. 
As in, we're going to make sure this transaction, we're going we to know what happens. It's either going to be, this is, this is going to go through or it's not going to go through and we're going to have these witnesses. And he said, sit down here. So they sat down. And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. And if you will redeem it, then redeem it. But if you will not, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. In other words, you have first right to this. But if you don't want it, I'll take it. Well, this is a, this is a great deal. I'm going to sell you this land, and he knows what his, his family's land was. He knows what Elimelech's land was. And, and so he's thinking, oh, this is a great deal. I can redeem this land by buying it. And then Boaz is saying, but if you don't want it, it's fine. But he's, he comes in and he says, and he said, I will redeem it. And I'm thinking in that moment, Boaz is going, oh, gosh. Because he really wants Ruth. But Ruth comes with the part of the deal of the redemption. Now, here we are in this conversation. And Boaz is doing the right thing. But he's about to lose everything that he wanted by doing the right thing. But then... His marketing strategy comes into play. And when, as soon as the guy says, hey, I'll redeem it, then Boaz said, but, oh, but wait one second. The day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also get Ruth, who's a Moabite Satan worshiper. You get her too, and you get another mother-in-law. And nothing wrong with mother-in-laws. I got a great one. That's on video, so I'll use that later. He says that, that uh, you, get, you get the Moabite, who's a widow of the dead in order to uh, propitiate the name of the dead and his inheritance. And then the Redeemer said, Oh, well, I can't redeem that. I was good for the land, but I don't, I don't want the Moabite. Like, is there a way for me just to get the land, and then I'll give you the Moabite? And he says, No, it's, it's a package deal. And he's like, No, I don't want that because that will jeopardize my business. I, I can't go support her and have sons with her that would just get complicated. So if that's the deal, if the only way that I get this land is to get her, then I don't want the land. You can have it. And Boaz is going, oh, that was a perfect sales pitch. Like saving, it's like somebody saying, hey, I'm going to give you a brand new car. It's like all these people that go on the prices right and they win a car and they're excited that they win a car. But then that car comes with something that they didn't think about. There's a tax bill that they got to pay on that car before it leaves. So there's warehouses in California full of cars that have been won on the price is right because it's so good and then it's not because there's a price that has to be paid. And so Boaz set the stage for what the Redeemer would get and he paints this beautiful picture and then he drops it. But you also are going to have to take care of her. And, and you know that in that stipulation of you're going to have to take care of her, Boaz was going to be on it and he was going to make sure that they knew that she needs to be taken care of. And he's already set, set the standard for what it would look like for her to be taken care of. So, so here we go. A guy who has this conversation, he loves her, he wants to take care of her, he wants to restore her, takes the risk of losing her by doing what is right. And we have this point this morning that said that God uses people doing the right things the right way. Doing the right things the right way. That, that Boaz could have redeemed her in chapter 3. He could have easily have done that. But he didn't. Because it wasn't the right thing. 
He held on to the commands of God. Sometimes it means that we have to stand on the word and not stand for our opinion or what we want. That we've got to trust God that we have been called to do the right things in the right way. You, you getting with me? Like we live in a, a culture to where it's totally okay for us to, to have situational ethics. That I'll do this if it gets this end result. That God told me to do this and I'll kind of do it this way, but, but I'm going to do it in, in the way that I need to so it works in my favor. That's not honoring to what God's called us to do. God, he, he honors people and uses people who do the right things the right way. Like we stand on our scriptures and we stand on our convictions and we don't sway from those things. Right? I've, I've told people that I'm willing to eat jail food if it causes me to stand up and protect the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will do it. I'll go to prison. It's fine. We'll start a new church. You're more than welcome to join. Together church behind bars. Together behind bars. There's all kinds of things we could do with that. But your character sustains you. It's the one thing that you have. Your, your talents can take you many places, but your character is what keeps you at the table. Because the character is the very thing that God is trying to store in you. He's trying to put his character in you. And, and you want to be used by God? Do the right things the right way. The right way is by the word. It's by what the word has already told us what to do. Just being obedient to those things. This whole theme of Ruth has been obedience. Don't chase comfort. Because doing, doing the right thing is not always comfortable, right? Telling the truth is not always comfortable. Admitting that you've hurt someone is not always comfortable. But it's the obedient thing to do. It's the thing that God has asked us to do. And this is where Boaz is. It would have been so easy for me not to risk losing her and losing everything. And I could have not had this conversation but God had given me a command that I need to be faithful to, and he did. And look what God did. God honored that. He honored it, and now we sit at verse 7 that says this. Now, now this was custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. Now, the custom that it's talking about is what we discussed last week uh, with this kinsman redeemer, which you can go back and listen to on the podcast. And it says, to confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. In other words, you go to the bank to pull a loan and you have this agreement, um, what you're going to do is take your sandal off and give your sandal to them. I don't know why. That's just a really weird thing. You know, you go buy a car and you take your sandal off and give it to them to confirm that this transaction really is happening. I don't know why it just says sandal. It doesn't say sandal, so now the other person's stuck with one, one sandal. It's, it's, I don't know. I'm glad things have progressed and changed a little bit, aren't you? Right? So we're not walking around with one shoe, one sandal. He said, so that this was the manner, this was the custom to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and he gave it to the other person. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, why don't you just buy it for yourself? He drew off his sandal. And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have, I have brought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Shilion and to uh, Milan. And also uh, Ruth and Moabite, the widow of Milan. That's not Milan. I'm thinking of the Disney movie Milan. But, you know, anyway, that's a great movie if you haven't seen it. I have, I have bought to be my wife, to propitiate the name of the dead and his inheritance. The name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers. In other words, I'm going to restore the name. The name is going to stay there. She's got a namesake. And it says that 
um, that they cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of this native place. You are witnesses this day. In other words, like you, you, have, you have seen with your own eyes that I have given the sandal over this transaction. He's making sure they know that you're, all ten of you are going to walk out of here and back me that this happened. I don't care about the land. I care about, the per, I care about, I care about Ruth. That's who I want to be with. And then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. We got you. We see this happening. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Whoa, putting her into some pretty high status of women in the scripture. Like these were the examples, right? This guy didn't want to have anything to do with Ruth. He wanted the land, but didn't want to do anything with Ruth. And then the elders say, she's in the same ball game as Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. So this is being said, not about an Israelite. This is being said about a Moabite who is a former Satan worshiper, that God's going to use her to help build up Israel. Now, now keep that in your mind. We're going to come back to that. May you act um, worthy and, and be renowned in Bethlehem. People are going to know about you. They're going to talk about you. Matter of fact, you go to Bethlehem this day. One of the things that, yeah, Jesus was born here. This is the house of David. This is also where Ruth is from. Like, that doesn't just get left out the story of Bethlehem, even to today. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. We'll talk about that in a minute. Because of his offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. When she left Moab, and she went back because there was no future for her. You just, you just need to go back with Orpah, go back to Moab, don't come here, no future for you, no husband for you, no anything for you. And Ruth said, no, 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 no. Today your God is my God. And I'm going to go with you. And it's a risk because I can go back to comfort because comfort for Ruth was Moab. Her family, everything she needed was in Moab. But the obedience was to, to be faithful to Naomi and follow her new God. And, and what was not supposed to be in the promised land for her, she finds new life. She finds the husband that she had been waiting for and she was longing for. God's ways always come with a risk factor. Always. There's always a risk factor. Because if there wasn't a risk factor, you wouldn't need faith to do it. There has to be this internal, like, there's a risk involved in here. God's calling me to do this, and I know if it, he doesn't come through, it's not going to be good. But he's called me to be obedient, and he's called me to step into his ways and follow his ways. And if I'll just trust him, then his word will light the path before me that I'm supposed to be taking. And any risk that is involved, God is my comforter. It says that his hands are underneath us to catch us. When we walk in faith, it may seem risky, but it's really a guarantee that God's going to come through with what he said he's going to come through with. See, God had given this command that they're to, they're to be faithful. Ruth had to take this risk to leave a place of comfort to go to a place that she had never been to before that were not her people. Boaz has to take a risk of doing the right thing to go have this conversation and potentially lose everything. 
But God has called us to be obedient. The risk factor always comes with the blessing on the other side. Always. Always. We look at verse 13. And it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And now, can you imagine how excited Boaz is at this moment? Now, remember, you're not going to find anything in Bethlehem. You just need to go back to Moab. But the blessing was waiting for her in Bethlehem. And the blessing was not just for her, as we're going to see in a minute. The blessing also came thousands of years later to affect us sitting right here in this room. Like, so we're reading. Listen, God is orchestrating in Ruth chapter 4 what we are experiencing right now for us. It's not just some random story. The, the trajectory of her life directly affected every person sitting in this room. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. She has been restored. Her family has been restored. Now the only thing she's missing is her namesake. The next part of this verse tells us that she gets one. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. There's your next tattoo. And then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord. Now, remember this woman said, Don't call me Naomi. You call me bitter? Because I am bitter. God has turned his, his head away from me. He's turned his hand off of me. I don't think God cares for me anymore. God's punishing me. She was a bitter woman. Naomi says, Blessed be the Lord. I would say that she's changed her demeanor a little bit. That, that she's starting to see that God works all things together for those who love him. That, that she's experiencing, and it's not directly happening to her. Like, she's rejoicing. She didn't get married. Ruth did. She is celebrating her daughter-in-law. She said, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in all of Israel. He shall be, uh, be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child. So Ruth has a child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Naomi is now nursing the blessing physically, nursing the blessing. So Naomi takes him, lays her, put him on his lap, became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood, because I think that this is an interesting verse here, I think the excitement was so much that the blessing has finally happened, they forgot to give the child a name. So I don't know what kind of neighborhood you live in, but this one says, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. Oh, what's his name? Oh, we don't know. We hadn't thought about it. Okay, we'll just take care of that for you. Don't worry about it. They said his name is a son has been born to Naomi. Now, Naomi didn't have his baby. But they named him Obed. Obed. He was the father. Get this lineage here. He's the father of Jesse. So Obed is Jesse's father. He's the, the grandfather of King David, um, who fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. And Salmon fathered Boaz. And Boaz fathered Obed. And Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Now, that may not mean much when we read that, but I want us to flip to Matthew chapter 1 for one second. Because we're going to see something here. Genealogies, typically, by the way, in the scriptures, 
is, is there's two, thing, two facts about genealogies in the Bible. Number one, we typically just flip right through those and don't read those things. Because you start reading it and it's like, A, I can't pronounce 90% of the names in here. And B, this makes zero sense at all. So that's fact number one. Am I, am I right on that, anybody? Is it just me? Okay, good. I didn't, don't sit back out there and polish your halos like you don't do that. <laughs> number two, they always include men and not women. Okay, because they didn't view women as the same social status. We get to Matthew, something weird changes. Women are in the genealogy of Jesus. And we're going to look in just a second and see who these women were and why this is so important and what message Jesus is trying to give us through his genealogy. So let's just look at the first six verses. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Y'all remember him? Remember they went on that field trip to go do that sacrifice, and Isaac's like, hey, Dad, I noticed we didn't have a ram. You good, son. Just lay right here. We need to do a test run real quick and see if this sacrifice works. And Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. So mark that, Tamar, woman number one. And Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab was the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Ruth, mark that name, oh, excuse me, sorry, Rahab. So Boaz by Rahab, so Boaz's mom was Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, you can mark that name, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Salmon by the wife of Uriah. Now, it doesn't mention her name, but it tells us who she is. And her name is Bathsheba. Bathsheba. We're going to talk about her in just a second. And Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, who had Asa. And it just goes on and on and on and on. But, but I want you to look for a second with me. These, these four names, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. If you're going to put women in a genealogy, these aren't the ones to do it with. Like, where's Rachel? Where's Leah? Where's Esther? Like, where, where, are, the, where are the prominent, overall arching women in, in the Old Testament that that were incredible. Where's Deborah? Where does she fit in? But we get these four women. Tamar, we can find in Genesis chapter 38, very interesting chapter. Uh, she's kind of going through the same thing. She needed a redeemer. Nobody wanted a redeemer. So one day, she dresses up as a prostitute. And she stands outside the front gates of the city. And when her father-in-law Judah walks by, he has a moment of weakness and begins talking to her. Well, she does her prostitute thing, but to make sure that everything is, is official, she said, you need to give me something of yours so I know who you are, just, you know, just in case babies come of this. And so he says, well, here's my staff, which had his insignia on it. So Tamar, he didn't recognize, but Judah ends up sleeping with his daughter-in-law. She gets pregnant. 
another child of incest and of prostitution. The townspeople came and said, this woman is pregnant. We need to get rid of Tamar. So we're going we're to take care of her. We don't know who did this, but she's got to pay the price. Like, oh, I got some evidence of whose baby this is. And then Judah's like, you know what? We don't need to take care of this as a townspeople. I'll just handle this privately. And she finds herself in the story of genealogy of Jesus. She was a deceiver and has this child out of incest, Tamar. Then you have Rahab. Joshua chapter 2, the, the spies are coming in to view the promised land. And a prostitute says, I'm going to give you shelter. Now, out of all the houses in Jericho, they end up at a prostitute's house. And she spares them. Spares their life, helps them to get away. They got all the information they needed. When they go back to take on Jericho, guess whose life they spare? Rahab. Rahab was not an Israelite. She has found herself in the genealogy of Jesus because she was doing what was right. We know about Ruth, ex-Satan worshiper, Moabite, foreigner, widow, no Israelite. She's a Moabite, but she finds herself and her broken past right in the middle of the genealogy of Jesus. And then you have Bathsheba that is here, the wife of Uriah. David sends his men out to war. Now, David should have been on the front lines with his men at war, but he decided that it wasn't, it wasn't worth his time. David decides that he's just going to stay back in his little kingdom, and as he's sitting on the rooftop, he looks down, and he sees a woman bathing. This woman's name is Bathsheba. Isn't that interesting how the Bible just helps you? Remember that? She was taking a shower, taking a bath. Her name's Bathsheba. Let's put those two together. So she's down here taking a shower, and he's watching her. And then he sends his servants to get her because her husband is where he's supposed to be, fighting on the front lines, where David's where he's not supposed to be. They have an affair. David feels, I don't know that he feels bad about it. I think that he feels that it's going to cause a lot of problems, so we've got to take care of the problem. So David sends word to have Uriah to be put on the front lines of battle, and they just kind of leave him out there by himself, and he's killed. kind of takes care of itself. This is the way he looked at it. And they... They have a son. Pregnancy happens out of this affair. And we know now that the son was Solomon. But in the moment, Bathsheba, who has this affair with King David, finds herself in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that all these women are awful people and God just put all the bad women in here. Uh, these men that are married to them were the cause of all these problems. Like we, we just don't have enough time to go through all the issues of these men that were here. But the significant thing is Jesus put broken women in his genealogy. He changed the whole game because here's what he's saying. We're all sinners. We have all made our mistakes. We all have our past. But the, the ground at the cross is level. We're all on the same ground. It doesn't matter if you come from a broken addiction of drugs it doesn't matter if you just had a bad attitude and talked back to everybody. We are all sinners, and the ground at the cross is level for all of us. Amen? Amen? Every one of us. And they had every right 
to be ashamed of who they were, but God redeemed them and used them because Jesus is the greater Boaz. And he, he, he takes their lives and he thrusts them into this genealogy to be used as examples of people who were far from God but came to know Him and love Him and repented of these issues and these sins. And God would use them to tell us, you don't have to be perfect anymore. Isn't that good news? Because we're going to mess up this afternoon. We probably are going to mess up before we walk out of this building. But we're covered by grace and by mercy. Because the truth of the matter is, if this genealogy continues into the day, you and I would find ourselves in the genealogy. And I can tell you, I don't have any business in the genealogy of Jesus. Because I would just mess it up. These women, the great, great, great grandmothers of Jesus. Well, who is your great, great grandmother? Oh, Rahab. She was a prostitute. Oh, and, and Tamar. She, she played part of a prostitute. And, and, and then there was Bathsheba, who's my great-grandmother. She, she had an affair with the king, and then she, he committed murder. But he was a man after God's own heart, after the fact. And then I had Ruth. My, my, yeah, my great-great-grandmother my great was a Satan worshiper. Now, I don't know if you have that same story about your grandmothers. But it was a sign of redemption. See, God's purposes for you are not limited by your past or your present. They're not. I think that people allow their past to sit and keep you from pursuing the things that God wants you to pursue because you're so wrapped up that I've messed up so bad, there's no way He could ever love me or care for me like that. And I can tell you that He says that His words are always yes and amen. That His word never comes back void. And when Jesus says, or God gives, gives Paul the, the, the words that height nor depth will ever separate us from the love of God, there's nothing that we could ever do that would separate him from loving us. That he cares for us. And, and he doesn't care where our past is. He doesn't care what we've done in our past. He has redeemed that. He has died for that. Jesus is never intimidated by our sin. Because he took the sin and put it on the cross. At some point, we've got to open up and realize that we've been forgiven of those things and stop allowing the enemy to hold us back because our past. Our past is not a prison sentence. We don't have to be held to it. We have been freed of our bondage because of the kinsman and redeemer, Jesus. We don't have to be chained to our past failures and mistakes. And you're not the only one that made the mistakes. Other people have made mistakes too. There's nobody in this room that is perfect. We would like to be, but we're not. So God is wanting to use you. And let me tell you, your past, whatever it may be, can be the very platform that God uses to reach other people. So you can either let it deteriorate what's inside of you, or you can surrender that thing to God, which, by the way, would be the best bet that you should do that. But that pain and that hurt, that embarrassment, that shame, that guilt, none of those things are of God. But if you'll give it to him, he'll redeem that thing. And he'll transform your life, and you don't know the other lives that will be transformed through it. But it'll make a world of difference for you. It's this hand of providence that God has on us. The way that God works with his people, and the way he works with us. When we look at the story of Ruth, he, God is constantly weaving in and out of the tapestry. He's, he's putting things in place. I mean, and, and this is not just scripture. I still believe the way that God worked in the Bible is still the way that God works today. 
We just don't have the spiritual eyes to see it like we should. But this is why we got to learn who the Holy Spirit is. And when I say learn, I'm not talking educational. You learn through experience. We learn through experience. I mean, I hear people say all the time, I don't know, I don't know about people being healed. I don't know that it happens anymore. Can I tell you, that happens. It happened in the Bible. Jesus said it would happen. If Jesus said it would happen, I still believe people can be healed. Well, I've never seen it, okay? I mean, there's a lot of things I've never seen, but I know they exist. I believe they exist, right? And we, it's, it's so weird to me that we'll believe in things that we've never seen, but we have the very Word of God, and we have a hard time believing that. That how could that even be true? But we'll believe UFOs are all over the place. And if you believe in UFOs, that's cool. I would like to have a conversation about that. That is getting a little bit weirder and weirder by the day. But there are things that we've never seen that we'll just believe. And we have the very word of God, and we see the evidence of him everywhere around us. And we have a hard time believing it. When Ruth leaves her homeland and comes back, she didn't know what she was walking into. She just knew that she was a very broken person. And she didn't realize that until she got around somebody who had this relationship with God. And she realized she was a very broken person. If you watch the story, they kind of switch places for a while. Well, Ruth becomes a spiritual leader and Naomi just kind of falls back. But Ruth brings her back up. And by the end of the story, they both have been healed. And healing came through the obedience. Healing came through them not allowing the past to hold them back from who they were. So God worked with them. The, the providence of God appears over and over and over. Can I give you three steps to experience the providence of God real quick? Number one, obedience. Number two, obedience. Anybody want to guess what number three is? Obedience. And you can just keep giving your life. You want God to continue working in your life? Be obedient. Well, I don't know what God wants me to do. If you don't know what God wants you to do, go do the last thing that he told you to do and get obedient now and just wait. I don't know what God wants to do. What does the Bible tell you to do? Just be obedient in what it is. It doesn't matter how big or how small it is. Just be obedient. I remember the little boy that came with just a couple of fish and the bread to Jesus, and he said, well, this is really all that I have. And there were over 15,000 people at the feeding of the 5,000. There's over 5,000, in case you didn't know that. And he said, this is all I got. And God multiplied it. He, he took the small blessing and God multiplied it to the big blessing. I'm going to use a line. Do you all know that kid's name? I don't either. Was it important? I don't, know what that, I don't know if that kid went on to be a disciple. I don't know if that kid went on to be a fisherman, a tax collector. We don't, we don't know. What we do know is he was obedient with the small things that he had. And God used them greatly. God has called us. If, if, if we want God to work in us, there's an obedience that happens. We've got to step into it. We've got to stop letting things of the past hold us back from doing the things that God has called us for in the future. Naomi goes from feeling like God's against her and being hopeless, and she kept pushing, and she kept, kept taking these steps. She was honest. She was transparent. She was authentic. She got into a community of believers, and she experiences this healing. And what happened to Orpah? Orpah goes back to what's comfortable to never be heard of again. So we have a decision to make. We can take wrong steps 
into comfort or we can take the right steps into obedience. You know why Orpah left and went back? Because obedience wasn't going to give her what she wanted. I think that's a lot of reasons we're, we're hard pressed on why we are not obedient because we don't think obedience is it's not going to give us what we want. But when our desires of our hearts change and we, it's, we know that yeah, it's not going to give me what I want, but it's definitely going to give me what God wants. Because my desires should line up with his desires. That's the story of Ruth. It's good news, isn't it? Because we should see ourselves in that story that because of that situation, and what would have happened if Ruth would have said, I'm going back to Moab. It's all, the whole story changes. The Christmas story starts in the book of Ruth. That's the starting point which we'll be talking about in about five weeks from now when we start Christmas. Y'all, can you believe that? Mm, Christmas is coming. I want to pray for you this morning. I just want to pray just very specifically that if your past has caused you, it's damaged you in any way that you're, you don't even want to take a step. Listen, I'm telling you right now, the steps that God tells you to take in obedience doesn't have to be a giant leap. It might just need to be a, a small inch of movement because movement, the Holy Spirit will get behind that. He's all about movement. So he's, he's not stagnant. So just be obedient. Be obedient in the things of just showing up the church. Just be obedient now. Just show up. Show up expecting to meet him. Show up to a small group. Be obedient and just being kind to people and living out the values that the scriptures say to people. Just be obedient in that. If we just did that, things change for us and for others because other people experience the love of Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray right now in this moment that, that there, there are things that we can just think of in our past that, that we feel like disqualify us, but we work for a God who has shown us through the Old Testament, especially through Matthew chapter 1, that you are a qualifier. You qualify us. That we're not held captive to our past. We're not held captive to our sins. That you have come and you have freed us for those things. Your word says that you bore our sins so that we could have a right relationship with you. And so, Father, I thank you this morning. I pray for those in this room that any shame, any guilt that they have, that they would take that off of you. It's really hard for us to look like your son, Jesus, and carry around a burden of shame. So may we offload that with you this morning. You carry our burdens and you carry our past. And I just pray that, God, we would be obedient in whatever you tell us to do this morning. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.